Lesson 13, Learning to Meditate. If you owned an ice cream parlor and you could only sell one flavor, a wise owner's choice would be clear. It would have to be vanilla. This isn't just because vanilla is the most popular flavor. It's because vanilla ice cream is far and away the most popular. Twice as popular as the second favorite, you guessed it, chocolate. And chocolate is twice as popular as any other ice cream flavor. No question about it. If you could only choose one flavor, you'd have to choose vanilla. Well, when it comes to how people change, if you could only choose one way to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with God, your choice would be equally clear. You'd equip people in how to read the Bible. More specifically, how to meditate on God's Word. may sound strange today, 500 years after the invention of the printing press, when you can pull up a Bible on your phone, but did you know historically at the coronation of a British monarch, they are presented with a Bible and were told, you are now holding the most valuable possession on earth. But is that how we might think of the Bible? <clears throat> you might have a family Bible that feels valuable, but do we have any idea what the Bible really is? We claim the Bible is God's written revelation, God's revealing to humanity who God is and what God requires of us. And just listen to how the Bible talks about the Bible. More precious than gold, sweeter than honey. For disciples of Jesus, we value the Bible as God's word to us, most of all because Jesus valued it that way. Jesus had the highest possible view of Scripture, which he knew intimately. He said it's more necessary for our life than our daily bread. You want a deeper connection with God? No question about it. When it comes to spiritual growth, nothing beats the Bible. The Bible's influence transcends all other catalysts, much like vanilla ice cream's popularity dwarfs all other flavors. To say it simply, I've never known a spiritually mature person whose life was not steeped in Scripture. You just can't get there any other way. The Bible is to be something we talk about in reference every day. Moses tells the people of Israel that the words of God are to be, quote, on your hearts, impress them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Remember our last lesson. If we want to become life students of Jesus, then there are certain new habits we have to groove. Training, not trying. Small word, big difference. In the movie, A River Runs Through It, the older son talks about something his dad, a minister, taught him. To my father, all good things, trout as well as eternal salvation, came by grace, and grace comes by art, and art does not come easy. Close quote. Now that's it. Would we expect that learning from Jesus how to live requires less training than learning how to fly fish? When it comes to nourishing the life of our faith, nothing beats the Bible. I'm not just saying read your Bible. You've heard that before. 
The goal is not just more information. We all know people who may know the Bible 10 times better than we do, but in our experience, do those people tend to be 10 times more kind? Or maybe when you were a young Christian, you got really interested in Bible study, and you had a quiet time, maybe even with a reading plan, but somewhere along the way, you may have just gotten tired. Reading began to feel obligatory, like words on a page. Or maybe you tried to read the Bible straight through and you just found it confusing. You come across troubling stories that raise a lot of questions. More than a few of us have given up reading through the Bible because, let's face it, sometimes it can be really confusing and intimidating. And you don't know what to do with all your questions. One scholar compared reading the Old Testament to sorting through a large and messy closet. You don't know where to put all the stuff or where things go. And eventually you got frustrated, closed the door, and tried to forget, which might leave you feeling guilty for another thing you meant to do. It's a new year. I have a close friend who told me recently that for 10 years she's planned to read straight through the Bible each January. But sometime in February every year she gives up. She gets behind schedule, and then when February comes around, it's Leviticus. Why is it always Leviticus? Most troubling to her is that the God she meets in this part of the Bible sounds very different from the God she hears about on Sunday. If the Bible is supposed to be a love letter, she said, there's a whole lot of awkward throat clearing. A big reason people give up on the Bible is that we're confused about what the Bible is. Think of the Bible as God's story of the world, written in two acts, what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. Like any play, if you walk in at intermission, it's hard to understand what Act 2 is really about if you missed Act 1. And if you walked out after Act 1, confused or troubled by some admittedly troubling scenes, you'd miss how those scenes are cast in a new light by Act 2. In the same way, the Bible is God's story. God is the main character. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are the climax of the Bible's one unfolding narrative. Everything in Act 1 is building up to Jesus' entrance, and everything in Act 2 is about Jesus appearing on the stage and what this means for the rest of the world. Christ, he is the climax of the play, and every scene before and after points to and finds its meaning in him. The lesson is not... This lesson is not about how to understand the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That's an important question, having a sense where all the pieces fit together in the story and what it means to say every story whispers Jesus' name. And I wish that every community could be more familiar with the whole Bible, both acts of the play, all the scenes, and how all the genres fit together. Bible study or learning for <clears throat> reading for learning, this is very important. And that's what a lot of us think about when we hear reading the Bible. But that's not what this lesson is about. Nor is it about the very important question, can I trust the Bible? Where did it come from? How are we supposed to understand that it's inspired by God, but humanly composed? Are we supposed to take the Bible literally? What does that mean? These are all important questions. But these are for another time. This lesson is for those of you who believe the Bible is God's written revelation for us. You know you're supposed to read the Bible, 
but you keep getting bogged down. For many of us, the Bible's like eating our vegetables. We know we're supposed to. We know it's good for us. We know we'd feel better if we did, but we just can't bring ourselves to make it part of our daily diet. You may have had occasional amazing experiences reading the Bible, but I'm not <clears throat> but I'm talking about how we can develop a regular daily habit so that somewhere along the way a switch flips from have to to get to so that reading the Bible becomes something you never want to miss. Don't you have habits like that that even on vacation you won't miss? Maybe drinking coffee or checking your phone? How can reading the Bible become a daily practice you wouldn't consider skipping? Well, today I'm going to give you five time-honored steps. And by time-honored, I mean this is a practice from the ancient days called sacred reading, Lectio Divina. We need to recover this ancient practice for our modern lives. This will probably be a different type of reading than you're used to. This is not reading for information, like reading a book or newspaper. This is more like reading a love letter, where you pour over and savor every word. That's how some of the early church fathers talked about the Bible, as a love letter from God. That used to sound sentimental to me, but it also sounded appealing that the one who loves me the most has a personal message for me each day. And yet, when I actually tried to read the Bible, it felt more like a box to check or that messy closet we talked about earlier. When I was a young Christian just learning how to study the Bible, I was taught three steps, observation, interpretation, and application. I'm incredibly grateful for those early Bible studies. That's how I learned the Bible's content. But if I'm honest, most often the Bible didn't feel like a love letter. My head was getting filled, but it wasn't changing how I related to other people. And over time, I began to feel discouraged. My heroes talked about the Bible in ways that sounded foreign to me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, The word of Scripture should never stop sounding in your ears or working in you all day long, just like the words of someone you love. And just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, Accept the word of Scripture. Ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That's all. Do not ask, how shall I pass this one? But what does it say to me? Then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. Those words are beautiful, but you might be asking like me, how does this happen for normal, busy, working people? Well, a few years back, someone showed me this ancient method of sacred reading where we might learn to listen to what God is speaking to us. The biblical word for this, mentioned over 50 times in the Bible, is meditation. We don't use that word much today, and where we do, it's often referring to non-Christian mental training. But it's a very important word in the Bible, and it's a word we need to recover Psalm 1 says we are to meditate on God's Word day and night. Meditation is not Bible study per se, but it is grounded in reading the Bible. It's not prayer, but it includes space for silence and listening. You could say it's a combination of Bible study and prayer. It's a combination of both, but it's, it's neither. 
It's neither Bible study nor prayer. It's, it's meditation. It's ancient, it's biblical, and it has five steps. Here they are. Step one, prepare. You're not going to fall into the habit of meditating on God's Word. You have to prepare. And you prepare by making it easy, attractive, and urgent. Easy. Remove the barriers beforehand. Scientists say the best way to train yourself to run in the morning is to lay out your clothes the night before. Set them by your bed. Make it easy. For scripture meditation, have everything set out. Your Bible. Decide where you're going to sit and what you're going to read. Start simple. Start small. Start with one of the Gospels. Not a chapter. That's like trying to learn a semester's worth of Spanish in one night. Just take one scene. Make it easy. Make it easy and make it attractive. I picked on Leviticus earlier. For advanced students, Leviticus might be your favorite book of the Bible. But starting there is like giving a kindergartner an algebra text. Start with something attractive, a gospel, a letter of Paul. Sure, you might like to do algebra, but that takes preparation. First, make it attractive. Make it attractive and make it urgent. There are so many metaphors in the Bible about the Bible. But one, as we mentioned earlier, is daily bread. As in, if I don't nourish myself in this each morning, I'm going to be reactive and impatient all day. In another place, the Bible is compared to a washing agent, washing with the word, Paul says. And we get his point. My mind is cluttered, messy, and foul. And if I don't wash my mind with the Bible each morning, I'm going to be fouled up in my thinking all day. A famous image of the Bible is eyeglasses. On my own, I don't see well, myself, God, or others. My vision gets blurry each new morning. I wake up and forget as I'm surrounded by lies. My brain lies to me. The world lies to me about what I need. So I need scripture. I need God's eyeglasses to help me see clearly. Okay? You prepare making meditation easy, attractive, and urgent. You won't prepare to read God's Word until your heart's convinced, boy, if I don't do this today, it's going to mess up my whole day. I have to do this. So you start with a simple prayer, asking the God who inspired these scriptures long ago to illumine them for you today. That's step one. You're preparing. You're getting ready. Step two is read. You've already picked a short passage. Now read it, out loud or silently. Place yourself imaginatively in the scene. Use your imagination to enter in. We're going to practice that in our lesson today. Pick a psalm. Identify the emotion being described. Read with expectation that God has a word for you today. Take note of what word or phrase jumps out at you or touches you. As you read, listen for what lodges in your heart. Make some space. Ask, God, what do you have to say to me in this moment? Meditation, you could say, is a way of listening to God, making space to listen. Eugene Peterson says that when the Bible calls us to meditate on God's Word, it's the image of a lion growling over his prey, or a cow chewing its cud. We have a mini labradoodle named Dickens. He only growls at us when we give him a bone and then come near him while he's gnawing on that bone. And you know what he's doing, biblically speaking. Dickens is meditating over that bone. He's chewing, gnawing on it until it breaks down and metabolizes and gets in his bloodstream. Well, that's an image of meditation. 
That's why the most striking metaphor for this type of reading in the Bible is eating. Not read your Bible, but Eugene Peterson puts it, eat this book. The same spirit who inspired these words long ago is the same spirit now in you, illuminating these words for you. That's why the Bible is called living and active, because the living Christ is actively speaking through these words to those of us who are listening for his voice. Meditation requires slowing down, learning to listen. God is speaking. Step three is reflect. How do you reflect? Read the passage a second time. You now have a sense of what's going on, but now you're reading it with an open ear. Lord, what part of my life needs to hear this word today? If it's a story, where am I in this story? Again, use your imagination to enter into the scene. It's Peter stepping out of the boat. It's Mary saying, let it be. It's Abraham wondering, how can I know? You see how this is different from a Bible study? You're not reading to become one who knows what Nehemiah is about. You're asking the Lord what he's saying to you through his prophet. Again, there's a time and a place to get familiar with the Bible's whole story in each book of the Bible. But as necessary as it is to get through the scriptures, it's more necessary to get the scriptures through to us. To read for transformation, we have to go slowly. If you read quickly, it will benefit you little. You will be like a bee that merely skims the surface of a flower. Instead, in this new way of reading, you must become as the bee who penetrates into the depths of the flower. You plunge deeply within to remove its deepest nectar. That's how one famous writer put it. Step four, respond. Read, reflect, respond. You respond by reading the passage again a third time. Where's the invitation in this text? What's the opportunity? You're responding to what you heard. Maybe God has touched a place of pain or frustration. Maybe your selfishness has been exposed. Maybe something you've been holding on to. And God is saying, release that to me. As you meditate, you can take in and expect it to nourish you, not just as words for the page, but bread for the journey. Believing God has a word for you. It usually has to do with that word or phrase that caught your mind's eye the first time you read it through. And what you're doing now, you're just chewing on it like Dickens with his bone. To mix metaphors from Psalm 1, the roots are going down, down, down into the soil to draw moisture from the living water to bring sustenance into your life so that you can become more rooted, more grounded. Some of you are saying, I have to read this four times. Well, that's why you pick something small. But the more you do this, the more intuitive your meditation will become. You won't be thinking about meditating. You'll discover over time that you have learned how to meditate. The fifth step is rest. Don't stop till you get here. You read the passage one last time, but this time you are resting in the gospel. You have to get your heart to the gospel in each reading. Rest is remembering that before you move out from this place, you move out from a place of fullness. No matter what deficit was exposed, in Christ you are forgiven and you are complete. You rest in God's presence, God's provision, God's promises. This is the posture of surrender. 
Now, does this sound burdensome to you? Like all the spiritual practices, this is a means to an end. The end is to enjoy God. But here's what I can promise you. If you'll practice these steps, you'll encounter God in His Word in ways you never have. And it will deepen your faith like nothing else. How do you learn to hit a baseball? You can read about the mechanics, but eventually you have to step up to the plate. It's not going to hit every time. In the same way in our groups, uh, we're going to take some swings because I'm convinced that you can, over time, learn how to meditate, prepare, read, reflect, respond, rest. Men and women from across the world have been doing this for centuries, and many of them couldn't read. They were from oral cultures, so they memorized passages in order to learn how to meditate. No matter how good your pastor is, and he may give you a feast each Sunday, but For most of us, that's three hours a month max. My question, what about those other 477 waking hours each month? We have to learn how to nourish our own faith, wash our polluted hearts, correct our vision each new day. For remember that each new day you are being formed. The question is, by whom? That's all these habits are. They are tending to the gap between what we believe and what we experience. One writer put it, all spiritual practices are simply pathways to experience the enlivening presence of God. And that's the point. It's not boxes to check. It's not meant to foster feelings of shame. If this sounds too involved for some of you, meditating, why don't you instead find a plan that works for you, a practice that helps your soul? But remember, no one stumbles into health. But I can say this. There is no way you will grow in the knowledge of God, deepen your faith, grow in the love of God, and increase your hope without daily engaging with God's Word. If you were stranded on a desert island and could only have one book, what would it be? Someone once asked that question of G.K. Chesterton, one of the most learned Christian writers of the 20th century. Chesterton did not pick the Bible. He chose Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. Well, if you're trapped on an island, what could help you more than a book that will get you home? Because we too are trapped, trapped in patterns, thoughts, and habits that are leading us to death, trapped on an island where we don't know who God is or who we are or how to get home. We need rescue. Disciples of Jesus, we know this about ourselves. So we don't just admire the Bible. We take it and read it as if our lives depended upon it. Because they do. Okay, we'll see you next week.